The following audio is from LifePoint Church, located in O'Fallon, Missouri. For more information about LifePoint Church, visit us online at thelifepointconnection.com. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. Uh, We're going to start in Genesis chapter 3 today. Uh, Again, if you don't have a Bible... Uh, We've got some in the back. Just raise your hand on up. We're going to pass those out to you. Uh, I want to tell you that if you don't own a Bible, if you don't have one of your very own, I would invite you to take that with you. That's our gift to you. Uh, We want to give that to you because we know that faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. And the the Word of God is powerful uh, as it's enlightened through the Holy Spirit to us and to our hearts. And so please take that with you. Uh, If you're, uh, again, new with us, uh, let me just tell you, Uh, that back here in the back we have a a, a gift tree. We've adopted four different families this this Christmas season. And so uh, for those of you who are regulars here, you may have heard this announcement before. Uh, But if you haven't already taken one of the cards off of the tree and then signed up on the according color chart, it's very, very specific, Uh, it's beautiful, Uh, you take a card, you sign up on the sheet letting us know that you took that card, and then by next week, next week is the deadline, next Sunday, you're going to bring your gift in here, you're going to set it back there by the tree with it wrapped and tagged. And so this is the last week for you to grab a card, next week will be the last week that you can bring that present. So I just wanted to remind everyone of that. Two weeks ago... We started in this Advent season in hopes uh, that as we gather together, we just really begin to prepare our hearts and prepare our minds and our focus into what it means that Christ has come. I mean, that's what we're celebrating uh, here in a couple weeks when we gather together with family, when we open those presents. Really, what we're ultimately celebrating is that Christ has come. And so that's what Advent means. It's, it's kind of a peculiar word. Uh, it's a word that means coming or arrival. All right, and so, so really what we're talking about is moving forward into Christmas is the coming or the arrival of the Messiah, and that here you and I are today, again waiting for the arrival of the Messiah, right? And so he's come once in grace and truth, and he will come again in judgment and to bring all things new unto himself. And so we've been talking about what it looks like for Christ to come, and the reason why Christ's coming is so important is just simply this, is that you and I, Like sheep have gone astray. Every one of us has turned to his own way. And you and I, guys, we are in need of the Messiah. We are in need of a Savior. And that's what we're looking to. That's what we're looking uh, to come. And so here's the deal. is There's no other holiday. Uh, There's no other time in all of life and all of our year that besides Christmas that, that points to the fact that we need a Savior. I mean, there's nothing in all of our year besides Christmas that points to the fact that we need God, right? Okay, so, so here's what it is, is we, we have gone astray. We have turned our own way. We thought we were smarter than God. We thought we were better than God. We thought we knew what was best for us. Yet every one of us has gone their own way. And Christmas is a holiday where we support and love the fact that there's something gone wrong with us. So here's a present. We, 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 we need God in a mighty, mighty way. There's nothing better than the American Christmas to remind us, God, man, I need you to come in my life very radically. Because if we're honest, more than any other season, we try to fulfill a longing. 
We try to fulfill a hunger. We try to fulfill a thirst. We try to fulfill something that's broken within us with stuff like gathering together with family and putting up Christmas trees and lights and presents and wrapping them all nice and then opening up. And then we get that thing and all of a sudden it lasts for maybe, maybe a day, maybe a week, maybe, maybe a month. But in the end, we realize that it doesn't satisfy the thirst that's in our souls and so we're longing for more. So the American Christmas is this. Hey, I got you a present. Hoping that somehow this gift, this present, will satisfy that unfulfilling a thing that's going on in your soul. Thank you. That's great. Or, or here, I got you a present because I'm unsatisfied and I'm fulfilled. And by giving to you, it makes me feel better. That's what's happening in the American Christmas. Either we say, oh, hopefully this will help you in your misery. Or this is helping me in my misery because I can't seem to solve the problem that's going on in my life. And so here's what happens is that, is that feeling that we get, it works for a minute, doesn't it? I mean, I mean is, it, doesn't it? I mean, we get, give them the present and then we say, did you see the look on their face? Oh, they were so excited and it made me feel good. But then a week later, you're like, oh, I forgot all about that. So I need to do something else or find something else. Or you receive the present and you love it. You're like, oh, this is so great. And what happens is, is that feeling, it slams into reality and it gives way to unfulfillment. It does every time. And so sometimes the season doesn't always bring families together. Amen? Sometimes we don't get everything we want. Just ask my kids. I tell them that. I prepare them in January, right? Sometimes you just don't get everything you want, right? And sometimes you do get everything you want, and it still doesn't seem to fill the gap of eternity. And so, and so here we are, when you, when you put the hope in season, when you put the hope in presence, when you put the hope in stuff, even when you put your hope in generosity, it just doesn't make it. But here's the good thing about Christmas, guys. It's one week before the new year. Isn't that awesome? And so you get the present and you get the stuff and you're like, oh, wow, this is great. And in about three days, it loses its luster, but you're like, it's okay. New year is coming up, right? And so I know what I'll do. I'll make a resolution. I'll make some commitment to myself, maybe to a few people around me, but not too many because I don't plan really to keep it. Uh, I'm going to make some commitment to myself that says if my life wants to be fulfilled, what I need to do is eat better. What I need to do is get in better shape. What I need to do is be more successful. What I need to do this year. And so Christmas doesn't solve it, but don't be afraid because New Year's on the way and we'll make another resolution. And even the most strenuous type A behavior, guys, how long do you last? Two weeks? Maybe a month? Anyone here today saying, I'm still working on my New Year's resolution for 2015? All right, we got one guy. He's like, I'm I'm owning it, right? And so, and so even New Year's is just a, a, a fact that Christmas didn't solve the problem. It didn't solve the problem. Now hear me. It's because you and I were created for something greater. It's because you and I were created for worship. Y- you and I were created to worship. Listen to me. Not sing. I wasn't created to sing. All right, just ask those people over here in the section that I sit in. Gosh, that guy, like a wailing goat or something, right? Uh, listen, 
Some of you were created to sing. But really, ultimately, a song is about worship. You and I were created to worship. We're created to, to look to God, to love God, to, to long for God, the creator, rather than the created things. And so you can love song. You can love music over the creator. Oh, I really feel God uh, when, when we sing this song. It's you're, you're longing for the song, not the creator. He's bigger than that. And so we were created for the for, for worship, worshiping the creator. So today what I want to do is I want to look at how, how we're, we've been broken, we are broken, but God doesn't leave us in our brokenness and he makes promises to us and how he fulfills all those promises. So uh, we're going to start, we're going to flip through a lot today. Normally I don't flip through this much, but we're going to do, do it today. But we're going to start in Genesis 3. So go ahead and get there if you're not there already. The Bible says in Genesis 3 that God created everything, that he spoke the world into existence, that he says, let there be and there was. And so he really ultimately created everything, and the angels are freaking out by this, I'm sure, right? Because, because God's there. He's like, let there be light. Let there be, be planets. And they're like, what's a planet? He's like, it's this planet. And they're like, oh, did you see that, right? And he says, oh, let there be water. And they're like, what's that? It's this. And it's like, let there be mountains. What's a mountain? No wonder they're just saying, holy is God. Holy, holy, holy. He's worthy. Look at at what he's doing here, right? So he creates everything, and, and everything was created by God and for God. And it says in the Bible that everything that we created was good, and it was really good when he created the woman, because he says it's not good for man to be a woman. And then woman comes and he's like, yeah, that's it, baby. <laughs> Ladies, come on. Help me out here. I'm trying, I'm trying to, trying to woo you. There you go. All right. And so, and so he creates everything good. And so everything in really the first two chapters of Genesis is this shalom, this peace, this rhythm of goodness between creation and the creator. There is, there is some peace there, but we as Christians know that something happened in Genesis 3, which we would call sin or the fall, which means we chose creation over God. We were deceived by the enemy. We were deceived by the serpent. He came and deceived us, and we thought that we knew our way was better than God's, and, and, and it broke Everything. So everything in all of creation in Genesis 3 was fractured because of sin. Everything good, right, and beautiful was broken, particularly our relationship with God. Now, instead of longing for the creator, now what we do is we long for creation, which never is intended to hold our joy. But look, look at the conversation that God has with the enemy, with the Satan, with the serpent, with evil, with death. Look at what he says. We'll start in verse 14. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, because you've deceived them, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. And on your belly you shall go and the dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Now look at 15 because 15 is going to be key for us. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your offspring or your seed and her offspring. And he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now when you think of offspring, what do you think of? Child, right? So this is what he says. He says this woman is going to have a child and this child is going to crush you. So hear me. Genesis 3, God says Christmas is coming. 
From the beginning, it says, hey, Christmas is on its way. From chapter three, it talks about, hey, this woman is going to bear a child and he's gonna crush you. He's gonna be wounded, but he's gonna win. That's what he says. And so here's the deal. Christmas is not something that happened in a manger. Christmas is something that was promised from Genesis three. It's coming I'm going to do away with sin, I'm going to do away with death, and I'm going to do away with everything that you're about in this son, in this son. And so this woman is going to give birth to a son, he's going to crush the serpent's head, he's going to destroy evil, he's going to destroy death, he's going to do it once and for all, everything that was broken, hear me, Everything that was broken in Genesis 3 that we feel the weight of now is going to be restored through this boring of a son through a woman. He's going to crush sin, he's going to crush death, and he's going to do it once and for all. Now flip in your Bibles to Genesis 12. So the promise was made in Genesis 3. Here's the promise. A son's going to come, and I'm going to do away with sin. I'm going to do away with death. I'm going to crush it all. And God doesn't forget his promises. Amen? And so here we go in Genesis 12. Uh, God is putting together his, his chosen people, and he's going to do it through a man named Abram. He's talking to Abram, who will later become Abraham, right? You guys following that? And so he makes a promise that he made in Genesis 3, and he reiterates it in Genesis 12 to Abraham. Look in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to a land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you. And make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whom who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, listen, all the families of earth shall be blessed. And so here's what happens. Uh, Brokenness falls, curse falls because of sin. But now God is saying, I'm going to send a son. It's going to bless all the earth and it's going to come through your line. And so here's what we know. It's going to be born of a son. It's going to be a, a man that's going to be wounded and it's going to be a son that's going to have victory. But we also know right now that he's going to narrow it a little bit, that it's going to come as a Jew. It's going to come through the line of Abraham. And so flip over to Genesis 17 because he reiterates the promise made in Genesis 3. Genesis 17. Uh, Verse 6. He says, I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations and for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. This is what he says. He says, he says, not only is a woman going to bear a son that's going to crush sin and death, he's going to be wounded in doing so. He's going to come through the line of Abraham, but now he's also going to be a king. That's what it says. It says, he's going to be, he shall be a king. There are kings that are going to come from you. Now, this is interesting. Let me tell you why. Wrap your head around this for a minute. Those of you who are here today, and you're just kind of suffering, or you're in a place of distress, or you're in a place where it doesn't seem like everything is being put back together, and you're just kind of wallowing there. Listen, this promise was made, and Israel has not 
ever had a king up to this point. I mean, realistically, there's going to be hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years from this promised moment before a king even shows up. And, and so they're going to spend 500 years in Egypt in slavery. What about the promise? Wasn't there a promise made in, in Genesis 3? 500 years. And then they go through the wilderness in about another 40 years before a king even shows up. And so here, here, here's you, you and I here today, is, is we are still longing for the Messiah, but there has been a child born, and it is proof of his promise. And so there's about 540 years in this gap. And so here's what we know. We know it's going to be a man born of a woman, and we also know that uh, he's going to be wounded, but he's going to have victory. He's going to come through the line of Abraham, and he's going to be a king. Slip over uh, Genesis 49. You guys with me so far? Genesis 49. Talking about Jacob. Jacob is in the line. And then, and then Jacob, what he does is he calls his sons together. And now, now typically, typically in this uh, patriarch society, what happens is the firstborn uh, uh, gets the blessing. All right, so the firstborn gets the wealth, the firstborn gets prosperity, the firstborn uh, gets everything from the father, and then really all the children kind of fall down underneath that. Any firstborn sons in here? All right, booyah, don't you wish? Right? And so here's, here's how it works. So Jacob, he, he calls, uh, look in verse 1. Then Jacob called his sons and said, gather yourselves together, talking to his sons, that I may tell you what shall happen to you in the days to come. So here's the day, right? Here's the day. Uh, hey, get the boys together, bring them in, and I'm going to tell you how you're going to get the blessings. And you know the oldest son is like, yeah, baby, this is the day I've been waiting for. This is the coming of age story right here. All right? And so he brings them together. He says, assemble and listen. O sons of Jacob, listen to Israel, your father. He says, Reuben, you are my firstborn. Yeah, I am. Yeah, I am. He says, yeah, Uh, Reuben, you're my firstborn. My might and my first fruits of my strength. Preeminent in dignity, preeminent in power. Now, if we just stop right there, Reuben is like, this is my day. But it doesn't. He says, you're unstable as water, and you shall not have preeminence. Imagine that. Now then he goes on, and so Simeon and Levi, they're, they're, they're close, and he's like, maybe it's one of us, baby, right? Like, you just pass him over, yeah, in your face, right? And so, and so they're standing there all hyped up, maybe it's me. And then Simeon and Levi are brothers, but their weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul not come unto the council. Oh, my glory, be not joined with their company. For their anger, they killed men, and in their willfulness, they hamstrung oxen. And so Simeon and Levi are there, and it's like, it's not us either. I mean, just imagine this family reunion playing out right now. And then, and then verse 8, Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouches a lion, and it is a lioness who dares rouse him. He says, Judah, you're my man. You're my man. And he probably looks at the other boys, and he says, don't mess with Judah because Judah's like a lion. And you know what happens when you mess with a lion? Anybody? 
You get devoured, right? I mean, you get tore up. He says, don't mess with him because if you're an enemy of his, he's going to put his hand on your neck and he's going to press you down. You cannot mess with Judah. Don't mess with him because he's tough. And so here's the deal. He says, Judah, you're my man. Now look in verse 10 because verse 10 is going to be key. The scepter, the kingdomship, the, the rule and the reign, the scepter shall not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of his people. So this is what we know, that the Messiah is coming, and he's going to be born of a woman, and he's going to be wounded, but he's going to win the war, and he's going to come through the line of Abraham, and he's going to come through the tribe of Judah, and he's going to be in the line of kings. Now, now, now wrap your head around this now. King David doesn't show up for another thousand years. It's long-suffering, guys. The promise in Genesis 3, 500-some years, the promise that he's going to come through a king, a thousand years. But God always keeps his promise. He, says, he, he reminds him, listen, I haven't forgot. I haven't forgot about Genesis 3. I haven't forgot about the covenant with Abraham. I haven't forgot about you. And so I'm going to continue to make a promise to you. Now flip over uh, to, to uh, Deuteronomy 18. Right now after the promise, you, you know what's happening in the world at that point? Suffering, pain, war, death, loss, and disease. And some of you right now, you're thinking, if there's so much pain, why would God not just fix it right then? I mean, that's where we're at, right? You look around and you look at loss and pain and disease and ISIS and abortion. All those things. God, why don't you? He wastes another thousand years before David even comes. It's because God wants to prepare hearts for a Savior. And here we are in American Christmas having almost everything we've ever wanted we need to be reminded that God is still preparing our hearts. So here, here's Deuteronomy 18. Look in verse 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. This is Moses. Moses is saying to the people, he says, he says the Lord is going to raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is him whom you shall listen. What, what kind of prophet was Moses? I mean, what kind of man was Moses? He was, he was the kind of guy that, that, that heard from God, walked with God, went to a people in slavery, went to a people in bondage, went to a people who were oppressed, went to a people who needed a savior and delivered them out of slavery, out of bondage, out of from under Pharaoh and delivered them to the promised land. Now look at verse 18. This is God. God says, he says, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers and I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all 
that I commanded you. So the promise is made in Genesis 3. It is affirmed in Genesis 12 that it's going to come through Abraham. It's going to be through the line of Judah, and it's going to be a king. And now he's saying it's going to be a prophet like Moses, one who will go hear from God into slavery, into oppression, into brokenness, and deliver the people out. That's what's going to happen. Now, flip over uh, 2 Samuel 7. 2 Samuel 7. There's going to be a prophet that's going to come, born of a woman, through the line of Abraham, through the tribe of Judah. His kingdom will come, and he will be like Moses, who's going to deliver my people. And in 2 Samuel 7, God continues his promise with David. Verse 12, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom and he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Skip down to verse 16. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Now, there's two things that are happening in this text. He says two things. One, I'm gonna make a promise with David. I'm gonna reiterate my promise that I made in Genesis 3 and in Genesis 12 to Abraham. I'm gonna reiterate it with David and say, you're gonna have a son. And he does have the son Solomon, remember? And he goes and he builds the temple. But he also says, you're gonna have this line of kings that's going to endure forever, forever. And so now through the line of Abraham, through the tribe of Judah, through David, he says there's a scepter and there's a kingdom who will rule forever. This is what we know. Up to this point, there's going to be a woman who's going to bear a son. And he's going to have victory over sin and he's going to have victory over death going to come through Abraham, so he's going to be a Jew. He's going to come through the tribe of Judah, and he's going to come through the line of David, and his kingdom will rule forever. God continues to push his promise forward. Now look in Isaiah 7. You guys thought that the Christmas story was just in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, didn't you? Surprise! <laughs> Isaiah, Isaiah 7. Verse 14. It says, Therefore the Lord will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Oh, that's what we've been waiting for. Right? That's what we've been waiting for. Okay, okay, so there's going to be a virgin. It's going to give birth to a son, and we're waiting for a son. We're waiting for the one to come. We're waiting for the son to come and destroy sin and death and put it all away, and he's going to come this way, and he says, oh, there's going to be a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Oh, that's great news, is it not? That's what we've been longing for. That's what we've been waiting for thousands and thousands of years. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose good. Listen, this is what we know. Curds and honey were foods of peasants. Kings eat meat and drink wine. 
not curds and honey. So we know that someone's going to be born, but he's going to be acquainted with poverty and grief, and he's probably going to be born in a place where there's no room in an inn, but probably in a stable somewhere, which means he's going to be homeless. He's going to walk the land and not have a place to lay his head. He's going to eat honey and curds, and he's going to be afflicted and oppressed. Now listen, this is what it says. Look at it again. The Lord himself will give you a sign. A virgin will conceive and bear a son. Now, um, having a child is miraculous, isn't it? Isn't it? I mean, I mean, I've been in the room twice, all right? Some of you guys have like 19 kids, all right? <laughs> Both times, it's epic, both times, it's fabulous. I mean, one time was with an epidural, the other not. Yikes. Yeah. Right? All right? And so, and so both times, it was beautiful. Both times, it was wonderful. But, but here's, here's what's sign. Even though it was miraculous, it's not this cosmic, galactic, overarching sign that this is the one. So something beyond just the miracle of birth has to take place. And so here's what's happening. He says, I'm going to give you a sign. What's the sign? Stars are going to change. Wise men are going to come from afar and worship this child. Angels are up here. Shepherds are going to stop what they're doing and bow down. It's going to be a cosmic, epic, galactic sign when this child is born. Do you think it's, it's weird that the, that the wise men were there looking at the stars and said, it's coming. It's time now. Now's the time. Look at the sign. Look at the sign. He's coming. He's here. And so, and so Isaiah 7 says, there's going to come one, and he's going to be God with us. Now, now look in Isaiah 9, because he's not done. Isaiah 9, verse 1. But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. That's good news if you're in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun, brought into contempt, I'm sorry, into the land of Naphali. But in the later time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Now, let me tell you what's happening right here. He's saying, that in Israel, there's these lands to the north, all right? And all the armies that come into Israel and attack it come through the north. And so in these northern areas, there's a lot of death. There's a lot of war. There's a lot of oppression. There's a lot of slavery. There's a lot of pain in these lands. But listen, he says, there's going to be no gloom even in that land. In that land. Now look down in verse 6. For to us, a child is born. Man, that's what we're needing. We're needing that child. A child is born to us, a son is given. And the government shall be on his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government and of his peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness. And from this time forth and forevermore. Now listen, because that will preach. 
Because in Isaiah 7, he calls him Emmanuel, God with us. But in Isaiah 9, he says, he is mighty God. This child with us is not just a man. It's not just a man who is blessed by God, who's God with us. Now this is God coming in the flesh. It's God coming and rescuing us. So we have a man born of a woman who will be wounded, but he will crush sin and he will crush death. He's coming through the line of Abraham, through the line of Judah. He's going to be a king in the line of David. He's going to rule and reign forevermore, but he's not just a man. He's God. God is coming to us. He's God in the flesh. He's mighty God. God is the one who saves. God is the one who redeems. God is the one who comes to restore. God is the one to fulfill the promise. Listen, I am so glad that the promise that God made in Genesis 3 wasn't fulfilled through a man because we'd screw it up. Men in the room, you know it's true. I can't even hang Christmas lights without screwing that up. God himself fulfills the promise that God makes to his people by coming in the flesh. Flip over to John chapter 1. Here's how it works. I'll close with this. Watch this. John chapter 1. In verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Here's the deal. God was there in the beginning. God was there in the creation. The word was there from Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. And the word was there when the promise was made. It says he, through him, everything was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. And light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. Listen, that doesn't mean there's not going to be darkness. It means that light shines in the darkness and the light wins every time. That's what it means. Now look in verse 9. The true light, the true light, the word of God, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. This is the one we've been waiting for. It says that he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, reunited with God, born of God. That's what you and I have been longing for since Genesis 1 and 2, is being united back to God, being born of God, children of God, who were born not of the will, not of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. Now watch verse 14. And the word, God, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we've seen his glory, glory from the only son from the father, and he's full of grace and truth. Listen, John bore witness about him. The prophets bore witness about him. He bore witness about himself, right? 
John bore witness about him. He who ranks before me because he was before me. And from his fullness we have received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through who? Jesus Christ. So now we know his name. He's a boy born of a woman who's going to have victory over sin and death. He's going to be wounded. He's going to come through the line of Abraham. He's going to be Jewish. He's going to come through the tribe of Judah. He's going to be a king through the line of David. The scepter will not leave his hand. He will rule and reign forevermore. He's going to be God in the flesh. And his name is Jesus Christ. It's what he says. It came through Jesus Christ. Now watch this. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who's at the Father's right hand. He has made him known. Do you know him? Okay, hear me. Not things about him. Because you can know all the Old Testament about him. You can know everything about his birth. Everything about his coming. But it says, he made himself known. Do you know him? Do you know him? Okay. From Genesis 3 up to the coming of Jesus, his promises made. The coming of Jesus is promises fulfilled. And in the second coming of Jesus is all the promises culminated, making everything new, completed. Promises made. Jesus comes, promises are fulfilled. In the second coming, everything's made new. Promises are completed. What gets us through? It's been 2,000 years since he's come. Death, suffering, turmoil, pain, it seems to be very present. So what gets us through the promises fulfilled and his second coming? Look at me. Knowing God. He has made him known. What gets me through until the second advent? Knowing God. I know him. His name is Jesus. And my question to us today is not do we know about him, but do you know him? The Bible says that Christ suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. God wants to be known. He's not hiding from us. He wants to be known. Colossians says, in him was the fullness of God. Fullness of God, and that through him to reconcile to himself all things, things on earth or things in heaven, to reconcile all things unto himself through the blood shed on his cross. He paid the price that was started in Genesis 3 that we've all walked in. He paid the price for sin, and he rose victoriously, showing that his promise is complete. Today, I want to ask you, if you don't know him, cry out to him. If you do know him, cry out to him. God, reveal yourself to me 
so it will get me through now to your second coming. Let's pray for that. Jesus, you're, you, you were from the beginning, in you was life, and, the, and in your life was the light of men, Lord. And there's some of us here today who are just sitting in darkness, maybe have family issues or maybe have illness issues or just maybe have self-worth issues or, or, or maybe we just are weighted down by the weight of death and hurt and pain. Almighty God, make yourself known to me. Make yourself known to us. Help us in this time, oh God, to see that Christmas is about you fulfilling your promise and that even today, 2,000 years later, you've not forsaken us. We can know you by your spirit. We can know you by your word. We can trust you in truth. So God, right here, right now, in this place, meet us. Make yourself known. Jesus, make yourself known. Increase my faith to see you above and through all of it, that you're better than as your church, we eagerly wait, and we ask you now to sustain us through your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. LifePoint Church exists to engage, encourage, and equip through the gospel for the glory of God. Therefore, it is our prayer that the Word of God would be an encouragement to your heart and lead you into a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. If you would like to support the ministry, you can do so by visiting our website at thelifepointconnection.com slash give. May God bless and may your life point to Christ everywhere in every way.